0: Now, I believe uh, Ben said that he read the first seven verses, didn't focus on those specifically. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entire chapter, It's just 16 verses. We're going to read the whole thing, but we're going to focus on those last eight verses from 8 to 16. Let's read it. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone just aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his own, must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent, must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Let's pick up with verse 8. In the same way, similar things here. Deacons must be well respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. So we already see some similarities there. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith, now revealed, and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control, and notice that word self-control is used several times, both earlier and now here again, and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and his household well. So that's a, a, a repeated thing. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon. So, that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And without question, this is a great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit... He was seen by the angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and was taken to heaven in glory. Kind of an interesting way verse 16 is uh, phrased, and I'll talk about that in a moment. It's just a little bit of recap. First of all, 1 Timothy, the problem was false teachers. So coming from that viewpoint... He's trying to do everything he can to make sure false teachers, false doctrine doesn't get into the church. And so it kind of makes sense that he's wanting to make sure that leadership in the church is solid, respected, honorable. And the underlying thinking is that he wants to make sure that the leaders of the church are not caught up into this false teaching. And so this is a way of distinguishing, or you might say separating, vetting, <laughs> uh, who should be a leader and who should not be a leader. Now, it's kind of interesting, the first part, the first uh, seven verses, really talks about, sometimes it uses, it uses here in the New Living, it uh, uses the word church leader, sometimes it uses the word overseer, uh, maybe a pastor, uh, one of the fivefold ministry people. Uh, and then in verse 8 through uh, 14, it uses the word deacon. And it's kind of a strange uh, term that's not used a whole lot by people. But if you interpret and translate the word deacon, it just means a uh, a leading servant. One who leads and is, has a servant's heart and that servant in in one sense, we're all servants, and we all serve Christ. We're all servants of the Most High God. But then you've got to have some people who are in leadership positions. Now, you remember the story or the, the passage in Acts chapter 6. The apostles, the 12 primary apostles, it says they were having to administer a program of feeding the widows. Well, they appointed... Uh, some servant leaders, uh, and they called them deacons. They laid hands on them uh, so that they could minister the word. And it was one less thing. I guess you could say it lightened their load uh, so that they were free to be able to minister the word, be able to do what they needed to do, ministering to people, teaching the word, studying the word, praying for people so that the word... Would progress that the the gospel would go forward, and they felt they were being weighed down in in the task of having to actually get out there and serve uh, and take care of the widows and There was a big controversy with the Hellenistic uh, Jews within the church; they felt like their widows were being not taken care of uh, versus the fully Jewish widows were being more taken care of, so there was a little animosity and feelings of jealousy in the church at that point. And so uh, the apostles kind of wanted to get out of that whole thing and just say, we're going to appoint some people and they're going to be in charge of this. We're not going to be in charge of this. We don't really need this uh, in our life at this point. So that's the general context of what's going on. Paul is trying to remind the church that... um, there has to be some sort of leadership in the church. And if you had no leadership, then the church really can't move forward. There has to be somebody who's got a vision, got to say, this is the direction we've got to go, and then you've got lots and lots of people who come alongside that visionary and say, this is the way we're going to do it, we're going to help uh, accomplish that goal. So what we want to do is uh, I want to look at a couple of things Uh, we're really going to focus I guess on the last part, at least from verse 8. Uh, just what I try to do, rather than picking apart the specific, um, and there are several qualities, what I like to do, I like to read verse 8 through 14 in the New King James. It uses a little different wording, so just to get a little different idea, it says, likewise, Deacon, this is the same passage, but a different translation, the New King James. Likewise, deacons must be, it's interesting, use the word reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these first be tested, let them serve as deacons, be found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, and there's the same word reverent, not slanderers, temperate, uh, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children, their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. It's interesting. I did a little study on that word "reverent," uh, and used. It's not translated in the New Living, but it is in the New King James. And I was trying to say, what what is it trying to say? Uh, what what is What is he looking for? Uh, What is he trying to tell us there when it says it? Because it says it about the the men and the wives. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the meanings of the word reverent is the tone of voice. (laughs) You know, you can say things to people, but, you know, your tone of voice can translate a lot. and, And your tone of voice is picked up by other people. You know, the way you speak to your husband, the way you speak to your wife, the way you speak to your children. What do other people say about your tone of voice? Where is Matt? Hey, Matt, how you doing, man? We ordained you Sunday. Rachel, you want to stand up for me? I have a question for you, Rachel. Now, I didn't, I didn't prepare you and I didn't prepare Matt. So you just be honest with me, okay? <laughs> Don't get nervous now. If you fail this, everything falls. Does Matt speak to you in a nice tone of voice? He really does. You think you think he would pass the test? Okay, Matt. Stand up for me. Now, how does Rachel talk to you? Very reverent. Got, got it under control? Okay. Good. Got a good heart. Good. Thank you. Now, the only reason I use Matt and Rachel is, first of all, they have three boys. And I want to tell you, folks, your children, your children pick up on the way mom and daddy talk to one another. You think they don't? Ha, huh. they do. And you are training your children how to speak to their future wife or their future husband. So it's not just, the sp- you know, and so many times we speak sometimes spur of the moment in in emotions. But we need to think in terms of We're establishing a legacy in our children of the way, the tone of voice, and whether, what if we called a witness in from the world and said, do you know this guy named Matt? How do you think he talks to his wife? Because if you read in here, one of the things was that those who are on the outside should speak well of us. So it's not just who speaks well of us in here. We ought to have a good reputation, even for others. And one of the things is the way, and it's not just our husband or wife. You know, if you yell and scream at your employees or at your boss, it does not speak well of who Christ is on the inside of you. Now, a couple of things about... um, and, and, you know, I'd, I kind of like to summarize the way, or I guess you could call the qualifications. Uh, I I'm put them into two categories. So if I'm going to ask the question, what are the qualifications of leaders in the church? First thing, they are mission-minded. They are mission-minded. And when I say that, that means if you are in an, in a position to help lead any group or any ministry in the church, if you're in a position to help others, then you have to be mission-minded. Now, I'm not really thinking about missionary-minded. I'm thinking mission-minded. And when I say that, what I mean is that whatever we do as a servant, we need to make sure that what we're doing promotes the mission of the church that's what i'm talking about whatever i can do my attitude my voice my uh, you know what i'm willing to do everything has to be mission-minded you see the whole church has to have this mission-minded set and that is what is the mission of the church our mission is to promote jesus and make him famous To lift up the name of Jesus, to tell people about Jesus, to encourage people to know more about him, that God loves them and Jesus has a great plan for their life. So the mission of the church is to promote Jesus, to lift up Jesus. And so if we're a servant leader, whether in an overseer position or in a deacon position, either one, the attitude must be mission-minded. I want to do whatever I can. You know, when we do uh, go on uh, mission trips, and we, you know, a lot of you have gone on mission trips. We go to El Salvador, we go to Mexico, we go to Africa. We've gone to all sorts of different places. And one of the keys, if you've ever been on a mission trip, one of the keys is that when you get there, you should have a servant heart attitude To flow with whatever the missionary needs. Don't go in there with an attitude, well, how come I don't have coffee the way I want to have coffee in the morning? You know, how come it's not this way? And you know, we don't come in with an attitude of wanting things our way. It's everything has to be to promote the mission of that missionary. How can we help and be a blessing to him? And that means being flexible. That means uh, you know, just not, things don't go our way sometimes. You know, I know we're just about to go to Mexico. We're leaving next Thursday morning. Matter of fact, I think 3.30 in the morning. Is that, are we really leaving at 3.30, Brother, Brother Clyde? Oh, have mercy. And so we're leaving at 3.30 in the morning. And one thing I remember for going down to visit Charlie down in Mexico is time is is nothing starts on time. Everything in Mexico is going to get to it. It's going to happen. You know, and I remember the first time I got down to Mexico and and they said, I said, what time does church start? Church starts at seven. Okay, here I go. I'm ready. Seven o'clock. Just people are just barely starting to come in. And I'm getting all up tight because I'm one of those a start on time. You know, I'm ready for the countdown. <laughs> you know countdown. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, start. Well, you have a you don't have countdowns down in Mexico. <laughs> there are no time time clocks down there. It's just Take it easy, it's okay, you know, you just got to chill and just let things happen. It might start at 8, it might start at 8.30, you know, just got to be willing to go with the flow. And it's so hard for my (laughs) personality to do that. I, I like things to be on time. Matter of fact, I don't like them to be on time, I like to be early, about 30 minutes early if possible, uh, so anyway, you just, you gotta go with a servant heart and, and a, and a leader, a deacon, an, an overseer. You've got to be mission-minded set. Whatever promotes the mission of the church, that's, that has to be a qualification. The second thing in that is they have to have Christ-like character. And to me, that incorporates all those other things. Temperate, uh you know self control not given to wine and and heavy drinker and manage your money well and and manage the household all of those things to me say you need to have Christlike character because sometimes some of the listings that we have like listed in, in the New Testament sometimes they don't particularly fit with the culture today so we have to translo- translate those into our character or into our culture. But it, it is Christ-like character. So if we're going to be a leader, we need to have Christ-like character. And, you know, hey, all of us are called to have Christ-like character. But it kind of brings up uh, the idea, why is it so important for leaders to have these qualifications? Why do you think? As an example, all right. Why, why is it important, Penny? Okay, so people can see Jesus in us. I like that. Why is it important that we have qualifications? You know, you could just say, oh, it is whoever does do whatever, but you can't. There have to be qualifications and there are reasons for the qualifications. Anybody else, you have any ideas? Why is it important? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And people will pick up if if there's not a consistency of character. Then how can you lead people in what you don't do yourself? You you can't tell people to be uh, self-controlled with liquor if you're a drunkard yourself. You can't do it. You have to walk it if you're going to teach it to someone else. Anybody else? Yes. It's because people learn by example that 's exactly right, yeah, going back to the children and everybody in the but even even again, everybody in the church they need to have those examples that they can look at, and if the examples are not walking it, then it 's going to be going to be hard for other people to walk in that and i 've heard I, you know I heard somebody some guy say one time when I was talking about and they was doing something they really shouldn't be doing, Uh, and I felt like it was a bad witness. Uh, They were in a position of leadership, Um, and I I said, you know, I really don't think you need to be doing that, and his, his response was, well, I don't think that's fair that you have higher expectations of me than you have of anybody else, and I said, well, of whom much is given, much is required, and if leaders cannot be right in their character and their nature then how can we expect anybody people are not they're going to come up to who we are but they're not we don't want them going down to what we are you know we're being bad we don't want them going down that way we want them to come up so we should be leaders just like he said we should be leaders and examples of christ and christ-like character and that's that's what we should A couple of things I wrote down, I thought about this. And number one, the church is the expression of God's family. As far as the world is concerned, you and I are God's family. So we kind of want the family to look good. (laughs) You know, we want the world to have a good impression of God's family. Since we are God's family, uh, then we want to give a good impression to the world that God's family is. Has it together. And how many times have you had somebody say, well, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be a Christian because all a bunch of hypocrites. Well, to me, that's a pretty empty argument. You know, I don't want to go there because they're hypocrites. Well, you better stay away from grocery stores and restaurants, too, because they're hypocrites there, too. But it is true that leaders should live a godly, Christ-like way Because how can we expect anybody to follow us if we're not living it? So there is some truth. I think much is given, much is required. Uh, So it is an expression of God's family. The second thing I wrote down, and that is the church, is the dwelling place of God's presence. It is the dwelling place of God's presence. If, If we are not living righteous, godly lives, how can we expect the presence of the Lord? You know... My wife and I, uh, uh, starting on Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday morning, early, one of the things we pray for the service is that from the very beginning of service, even before the worship starts, that when people walk into the building, they feel the presence of God. When the worship starts, they feel the presence of God. When they're walking in from the from their cars they feel the presence of god you know they just sense the presence of god you know if we're if leadership is not living a holy life it's going to be hard for them to feel the presence of god you know we welcome by our godly living the presence of god so we should live a holy godly life because again this is this is his this is where his presence dwells, and we want people to sense and feel and, and, and just experience the very presence of God. And if we're not living a holy life, how can we expect the presence of God to be here? So that's an important thing. The third thing, and that is uh, the church is the guardian of God's word. Now, I thought about this today, and I thought, if the church does not guard the truth of God's word, who is? TV won't. Public school won't. If the church does not guard, become a guardian of the truth and hold forth the truth and not waver in the truth, who is going to hold forth the truth? Nobody. The church is the guardian of God's truth. And that's why, you know, we just, you know, when you're praying for us and praying for the leadership, pray for us to to hold fast to the truth of God's word, to the integrity of God's word. That is so important because there are churches all over that are folding and giving in uh, to the culture around us. And are going along with what what seems convenient. And and they don't want to be, they don't want to offend somebody, I guess. Um, So they go along. And I I just feel like it's such a compromise that, you know, the church has a responsibility to hold to the truth. Because we don't, believe me, there is no institution, no place, that's going to hold on to the truth if the church doesn't truth is lost if we don't hold on to the truth of god's word so the third question that is uh, what does self-control look like in today's culture anybody well because that word is used several times self-control what do you think bill Okay, Right. Yeah. So self-control is a refusal to, to participate in looking at pornography, but it's not just pornography. There's just all kinds of stuff on TV and everywhere else that you've got to say no to. You know, I. You know, some some people were saying they didn't want to watch the the halftime at at the Super Bowl. But, you know, I, you know, I just – I couldn't watch any of it. You know, I saw about – I think about 20, 20 seconds of it when we were over at a meeting, over at a home group leader's meeting on Sunday afternoon. I, I watched, I watched a, a part of a rerun of a couple of plays, and then we had to go. Um, and when I got home – I just told Vicki, I said, you know, first of all, I don't care who wins. doesn't really matter. Uh, I could care less. So there's just so much junk there, you know. There's so many of the commercials. It wasn't just the halftime. It was just so much of it. It was just, you know, I don't want my mind polluted with all that stuff. And I'm not condemning anybody that watched it. But I'm just simply saying it goes back to what Bill said. Part of what self-control looks like in our culture is being willing to control our eyes. What else does it look like? Self-control. To us, Penny. Staying on a budget. Ah, I like it. So if a person is $25,000 in debt in their credit card and paying for a paying for all kinds of stuff they don't need, that's not self-control. And again, that's a testimony to the world, and we're saying we're not in self-control. So not being addicted to possession, not being addicted to credit, not being addicted to feeling like we've got to have everybody, you know, and don't, you know, don't keep up with the Joneses because the Joneses are in debt. (laughs) Ridiculous, just to try and Buy stuff and pay things on credit just so you can look better than somebody else. That's foolish. So I agree with that. Finances. Part of self-control. Yes. What does self-control look like? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Control our tongue. It mentions slander here as one of the things. Not be given to slander. Uh, not, not be given to putting somebody down gossiping the way you talk about somebody what you pass on sometimes we pass on things that we don't even know they're really true and we pass them on because we say well this might they might be doing this oh man that that's a dangerous road to go down saying something they might be doing or they might be into man don't drag somebody's reputation down the road uh, if you don't even have any idea, and even if you do know they're doing something wrong, spend your time in prayer, praying for them, for God to speak to their heart. Don't spread that thing. So I agree with that. Yes, Diane? Yeah. And the word tells us bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. And every high and exalted thing which which would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, pull those things down. And to me the translation of that is have self-control about my think thinking and my thought processes so that when my mind starts wandering, and running towards stupid stuff and things that don't matter. And bring those things under control and say, hop, hop, stop, stop that. Don't even go there, Renee. Bring my thought into what, what do I really want to be thinking about? And to me, the easiest thing to do is when you start wandering, either worshiping God, start singing and worshiping God or praying for somebody. Yes. Okay, controlling your actions and not giving in to those feelings or emotions. Anybody ever giving in to their emotions? Do you know some people give in to their emotions easier than others? Has a lot to do with your personality. Has some to do with the way you're raised and the way you've trained your thinking. Because your emotions do not have to control you. But you have to bring your emotions under control. It's it's almost like putting the bridle on the horse. And whoa, no, I I uh and you don't let your emotions discouragement, fear, frustration, anger upset, mad, they don't love me, they don't care about me. Why did that happen? Why is it? you know, if we don't watch it, our emotions are just they're just like running ever which way, and you have to pull those things under control, again, back into the obedience of Christ and think on those things that are lovely. Think on those things that are pure. Think on those things that are of good report. And not allow your emotions to run wild. Because I want to tell you, Satan loves to destroy us through our emotions. Now, I'm going to say this, ladies, and you all don't get mad at me. I heard you... I heard, I can always tell that voice over there is my wife. Ladies sometimes are a little emotional. It's true. But God made you that way. And there's a reason for it. He designed you to be more emotional and to respond with your emotions more than men do so you can be more sensitive, more caring, more compassionate. Uh, there are things that you'll pick up on that men are clueless to. We're just kind of going, duh. What happened? <laughs> Where? a woman will pick up on it real quick because she's more sensitive, but it comes from that tendency to be more emotion. And it is a grand plan, design of God, for men and women to be different. And that difference is good, not bad. But you always have to see your weakness and your strength and and pull those weaknesses and strengths and put them into balance. And if you know you have a strength, you've got to be able to temper that. And you've got a weakness, you've got to lift that up and, and, and pull that thing up. And so if you tend to be a person who gets overly emotional, you're going to have to learn how to bring those emotions under control. So, you, ladies, you're not mad at me, are you? See, it's it's really a good thing. Okay. Fourth thing I want to ask you, and that is, um, again, since we were talking about ladies, uh, describe what the wife of a leader in a church should be like. Not what she should look like, what she should be like. It mentioned ladies. Penny? Respectful of her husband? Think that's that's very good, respectful of a husband. What else should she be like? Live by example, I agree with that. Compassionate, Compassionate. okay? What should a leader, wife of a leader be like? Vicki. When I when I asked my wife that today, I said, honey, watch. And I just asked her this question. First thing she said was dress modestly. Not flaunting everything in the world to try and get attention with your body. That's part of being in self-control, especially for a woman. So dressing modestly. And I think the obvious thing is the way we talk. And I think being reverent, respectful of your husband uh, comes with that. Ben, not being a gossip. gossip. So that would be one of the areas where if a a woman is a little more emotional, she likes to talk a little more. They say women like to talk uh, about 12,000 words more per day than a man does. But And that can be a good thing, but it also can be a difficult thing. And it can turn to gossip. So you got to control that. What else? Yes. Helper and supporter. Absolutely. You know, when we first started in ministry, um, <laughs> we... we we went to a place, and of course, if you know anything, I started out singing in music. And so we went to a church, and we were doing a revival. And my wife, of course, she, my wife was always with me. She has always been with me wherever I went. And so we got to this church, and so I was doing different things. I was teaching, and I was singing and different things. And so uh, a lady came up to my wife, and she said, do you play the piano for your husband? And she said, no, I don't play the piano. You know what that lady said? She said, Well, what are you here for then? (laughs) You know, that's a terrible thing to say. It's like if you're not going to play the piano, what are you here for? And she said, She just simply said, I'm here to support my husband. She's my number one supporter, my number one fan, my supporter. And. I'll take that over a piano player any day, <laughs> you know it yes any you have something else I have say, uh, teachable spirit, teachable spirit. spirit. You know, pray, amen, amen, yeah, a prayer warrior uh one who's ready to do battle and prayer uh and 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 i I love that, yeah anybody else anything else woman yeah. Oh, okay. hmm Okay. And I think that probably would come with a little more compassion because when you're compassionate, you want to be civic-minded, you want to help people, you're, you're touched by other people's hurts and and difficulties. So I think a woman is great. You know, that's one of the reasons I think, you know, Tina is the head of our outreach, and one of the reasons she does such a great job is that uh, she's touched by people's difficult situations. She has a very compassionate heart. And every time she gets up to say something, she cries. (laughs) But it just shows her her heart. You know, she's touched when people are going through a hard time and I think that's you can call it civic minded, compassionate, whatever you wanna whatever you want to do. Barry, what do you think? Dependable, I like that. Steady. Dependable. I like that. And I think that fits within the criteria that it mentions here. Dependable. Steadfast. Yeah. And the other thing, the last thing I wanted to mention here, just to ask you—it's kind of interesting because when I looked this up, because uh, I thought verse 16 was phrased, so strange. Uh, and sure enough, when I looked it up, it was actually written in the form of a hymn. He wrote it in a way doesn't show that in the new—it doesn't show that in the New Living, but in the King James and the New King James, uh, it's written as a hymn. And it's actually the way it as it's written, uh, they sang it. So he wrote it that way. But really, it was just an expression of how Paul was describing the mystery of, of, their, of his faith in Christ Jesus. So if you're going to translate that, how would you describe the mystery of your faith in Christ? How would you, how would you describe to somebody your faith in Christ, in just a brief, maybe one or two sentences. Anybody, if somebody, if you're witnessing to somebody, and you wanted to tell them how amazing Christ Jesus is for you and to you, how would you describe that? Sonia. He's everything his word says he is. I like that. Yes? Breathtaking. I like that. Anybody else? How would you describe? Yes, Lalani? Faithful. He is faithful. Yeah. Penny? I was lost, but now I'm found. Amen. I like it. Diane? And he's reaching out to us. You know, it's not like God is way up in heaven, sitting on a throne, kind of like, come to me. I don't get that. I, th- I, I see God just like that. He's reaching out to us. He's doing everything he can. If you're away from the Lord, he's after you. He's reaching after, he's drawing you back, he's calling you back. he's got that hand, and if you're in a raging torrent I love the illustration that you're describing if you're in a torrent of emotions, problems difficult, he is reaching into that, trying to grab you and hold you and hold you steady and pull you out of that. You know, and that's the father, Barry. Yeah, he loves you in spite of everything you've done. He loves you. Mel? Irrational peace. And you're right, it doesn't make peace. But it's peace because he is my peace within me, not everything is perfect around me. I like that. Yeah. Him showing his love toward us, even though we don't deserve it. Lalani. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, because it is so amazingly hard to describe, it's hard to tell people how much God loves us. We just do the best we can, but he loves us so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even our faith, even our ability to worship him, we need him. Yeah. No condemnation. You know, his goal is not to condemn us. His goal is to love us and call us into his grace. Yeah. Amen. I love it. You know, Ben was telling me uh, Monday morning that he had a coworker worker come Sunday morning. And he used to work with you where you worked at Safeco. Yeah, safeguard for I don't know seven years or a long time. He worked with him, and uh, and Ben just happened to be out in the front greeting people this Sunday morning, and then he walked. He was so shocked. Probably shocked, you know. Probably wasn't shocked because he knew Ben came to church here, but Ben was more shocked to see him come. You never know, but the witness that you share is going to reap a good harvest. But it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Who else do we have? With all the things we go through and, and how do we make it through difficult situations without him? Yeah. Necessary. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you. What an amazing God you are. Lord, we could just talk about you and talk about your great love and your great mercy and your great kindness. Indescribable love. Amazing love. And you are that loving Father that is reaching out with that hand. That hand to drag us out of the misery and the life and the... Torrent of this world is trying to sweep us away. It's trying to sweep us away. And Lord, I just want to thank you for your grace and your mercy that you love us that much. Lord, help us to push forward and do everything we can to help the mission of the church that we would promote Jesus to a world who is lost and dying and miserable. Help us to tell people of what an amazing God you are. And how everything they're looking for is in you, Lord. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.